Welcome to Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. We have a great leader of the Queens Public Library on this episode, Dennis Walcott, who's the president and CEO of the Queens Public Library. Many of you may not realize, but the Queens Public Library is one of the nation's largest public library systems. They have 66 locations in the most diverse borough in the world. He joined Queens Public Library in 2016, and many know he's a lifelong resident and very active in, in the Queens community. So Dennis, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining me. And Josh, thank you for asking me. I love your background. Thank you. Yes, well, listen, yes. We, we both, we, we always talk about how we both touch so many people, us through our content and you through books and multimedia and so much uh, more that the library, you know, offers the community. You know, it's really interesting in that we're celebrating, as you know, our 125th anniversary. And we've been doing a lot of research. We have our memory project that's been capturing people who want to share their information, poetry, love letters to Queens. And it's been fascinating looking at the various locations the Queens Public Library has been over the 125 years. I mean, we started in Astoria and then it grew from there in Long Island City and then we expanded out. And I, as a child, remember where I went to the St. Albans Library, which is now in a totally different location. And now that I'm in Cambria Heights, I remember where the Cambria Heights Library mm. is, and now it's in a different location. So it's been the evolution of the library system, both physically, programmatically, and obviously in how we present our publishing information through books and media and other types of uh, platforms. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people think of a library of its books. You know, you, you borrow a book, but talk a little bit about the depth of the library because you guys do a lot more than books. Well, it's, it's a lot more than books and you took the words right out of my mouth because we do programs, we're out in the community, we love community partnerships, uh, we work with hospitals, community-based organizations, we were very active as part of a coalition around the census. So you name it and the library has been involved in that adult education, immigrant services, our job business academy, the normal things that people know us for around reading and going to the different programs and getting our youth there. So all of those things are part of the Queens Public Library. And I think the most important thing is that we're a safe haven for people. Yeah. As a result of that, people don't have to worry about before the pandemic, uh, we had you know an open door. People can just walk in, sit down, they don't even have to read. Uh, they just have a safe haven to go to. And so we as a library system take great pride in that. So not just uh, getting out of the heat during the summer with air conditioning, but one of the things that I think people take for granted is access to the internet and access to a computer. So right. I mean, that. Sure. I mean, again, this is all pre-pandemic and we'll be unfolding yep. new initiatives as we get closer out of the pandemic. But yeah, we have computers available. We have Wi-Fi capability, not just in our building, but outside of our building. So now even during the uh, pandemic, when people can't gain access inside, they're still able to get a Wi-Fi connection outside. Uh, in addition to the computers, uh, we have other type of services that broaden the reach of the library beyond what's normal. Even now with the pandemic and and go situation where people can order their books and materials and then pick it up. They also can order printing jobs as well. So mm -hmm. all they need to do is send remote printing to us. We print up to 20 pages for free and probably even more. And people then pick that up as well. So we're always looking for different ways on how we serve the public to benefit the community. 
Dennis, I want to talk to you about your leadership because, you know, you came into leadership at the library at a point where, you know, there was some upheaval with the past uh, leadership. Um, you know, you have a fantastic background, but, you know, one of the things that I would say amazed me, but I thought it was really interesting and intriguing was when I came to meet you when you first took over and your office wasn't an office. You were literally sitting in the open, in the Jamaica, which I guess is the main branch, the central. Uh-huh. The central branch of the Queens Library. And basically you were out in the open of the library. And I think that that said a lot to me in terms of leadership, not really where your seat was, but more about, you know, your leadership style. So can you share a little bit about maybe just a little about your background and what drove you to come to the library and, and a little bit about that decision and just your sure. overall leadership? Well, thank you, sir, for that. Um, I'm, I'm a public service person. My whole life has been around public service. So uh, I started out as a kindergarten teacher in South Jamaica. Uh, and then I left that to start an alternative Big Brother program also in the Jamaica area as well. And then from there, I went back to school to get my second master's degree in social work. And I did a work study program with a foster care adoption agency. And then with the organization that merged with the United Way of New York City, but was called the Greater New York Fund United Way, which was responsible for the allocation of grants to community-based organizations. And then I worked there for around five years. And then from there, I went to uh, an agency called Harlem Dowling Westside Center for Children and Family Services. And I was the executive director there for five years. And then I was the CEO of the New York Urban League for 12 years. And then uh, Mayor Bloomberg asked me to join the administration and I worked within the administration first as deputy mayor and then as chancellor for 12 years and then took a little time off. And then my wife and I went away, did some volunteer work and then came back. And then the state asked me to become a special monitor of the uh, East Ramapo School uh, District, which was having a lot of racial and ethnic tensions uh, between various communities. So I went up to East Ramapo and worked up there as a special monitor for a while. And then I heard of the opening and I had outreach and I applied for the job uh, at the Queens Public Library and I was blessed and lucky to get it. And it's been a glorious five years. I have a great board, a great team of people that work here, always creative, always innovative, always looking to how we serve the public better. And work in partnership together to do that. And then what about that seat that you took? Talk about what made you think to you know, not have an office because there's there's executive offices upstairs that are after security. There are. Right? That is correct. Uh-huh. So what so, was the thought process or what drove you to really sit out there in the middle of the, the library and make that your office? I'm not an office person. So even before the Bloomberg administration and the open style, the way Mayor Bloomberg operated, even before that, I was not an office person. I get bored in an office. I mean, just being by yourself, I need the interaction and the dynamics of the institution that I'm working for. And so prior to starting, but after being selected, I scoped around and talked to a couple of people on staff on a good place to locate uh, the cubicle that you're referring to. And I didn't want to interfere with anything else going on. I didn't want to cause an uproar, disrupt people, or have people angry at me uh, trying to take away their space. So then we found the spot that you're talking about and set it up there. And I, I don't have any regrets about it at all. Uh, it's given me the ability to know our customers, our customers can know me, uh, to interact with our staff, to learn more. I'm not a librarian. So even being on the floor, a graduate course in a very quick way 
as far as what's involved in the mechanics and the ins and outs of running a library. And I think more importantly, it gave me a sense of who our customers are. So mm. like two quick stories. So one is a customer who would come in every day when we open the doors. So my chief librarian and I and other librarians would be at the door uh, to greet the customers as they came in. And we would see this customer, he comes in always polite, shakes his hand, shakes hands, and then goes back to a table to sit. And so one day after seeing this repeatedly, he would come in at nine, leave at 2.30, come in at nine, leave at 2.30, come in at nine, leave at 2.30. So I stopped and said, don't mind me asking, you know, I see you come in at a certain hour and I see you leave at a certain hour. I don't really see you reading and I don't really see you interacting with people, but I do see you here every day. And he said, this, talking about the library, this is my oasis away from the craziness of the world. Mm. That's all I needed to hear. It's like blew me away. And then I have another customer who had come in and again, developed a good relationship. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't on the floor uh, with him and a gentleman who was in his mid seventies or is in his mid seventies. And, but he was a prolific reader. He just read nonstop. So we would engage in conversations and he would tell me about the books he was reading. And then somehow it came up where he was in a homeless shelter, so he automatically thought he wasn't eligible for a library card. I said, sure you are, you can get a library card. So we worked on making sure you had a library card. So his prolific reading increased even more so. Mm. Just read and read and read. I mean, went to a funeral of a customer who was a regular who passed away and the people that knew that he and I talked all the time, you know, told me when the funeral was, so I made sure I went to the funeral. I mean, that's the dynamics of being on the floor doing your job. And then, you know, there'll be times where I have to come upstairs to um, the area where the other staff are and we interact in the different offices I visit all the time. And I mean, that's just how I am as a person. I just don't like offices and I try to make sure, especially here, to be in the flow of what's going on. Well, I have to say it stuck with me and that was a few years ago. So I can only imagine how it... Uh you know, went uh, through with your staff and with visitors, but I think it sent a really strong message, let alone how you benefited from it. Yeah, I mean, and the goal was not necessarily to send a message, but was to just be a part of it. I'm, I'm not any different than anyone who's on our staff. I'm not any different than our customers. I happen to have a great job that I love, uh, but the goal is to make sure you're there and you're listening. Okay, one other quick story. So shortly after I started and being on the floor, couple of customers came up and said, you know, the bathroom really isn't that clean. <laughs> and, you know, we get a regular customer. So I brought it to the attention of our um, facilities people. And they said, okay, we'll increase the rotation uh, of cleaning it because they were ro rotating rather quickly to clean it anyway, but then they increased it even more so. And hadn't heard a complaint since that time. I mean, I wouldn't have heard that unless, you know, they caught me on the fly going out to a meeting or something like that. That type of transaction to me is important as far as how you improve any institution that you're a part of. Sure. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the impact of COVID. Obviously, every organization's been hurt by it, particularly nonprofits. So how, what was the impact on Queens Library? What was the, what were you, services had to be cut back? And where are you now in terms of being able to reopen? So like every other institution in business, 
in the country, basically, once the pandemic really hit, uh, we shut down services. But again, we have a great team of people. And as a result of that great team, our IT people started gearing up right away to set us up for the virtual world. Our program people, our librarians got together. And then immediately, within probably a two-week period of time, had virtual classes up and virtual programs to the point where now we have roughly 70 plus virtual offerings per week. Wow. And, oh yeah, no, we got a lot going on. I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed when I look at our website on the types of programs that the staff is creating. Matter of fact, when I was walking in the door here at Central, I mean Central now, and when I was walking in the door, two of our librarians caught me and said, we got a great program on Friday around poetry and I think I'm looking forward. I mean, they're always thinking on how to create that. So we were able to gear up rather quickly as a result of the talented people who are here. In addition to that, we also started ordering PPE equipment and made sure that once we were ready to open in some way, shape or form, uh, we had the PPE in place at certain select libraries. Our teams also went out to visit the libraries to see uh, the best way to operate them in a safe environment. And so we did that. And then gradually we opened up a number of our libraries for what we call grab and go or pickup service, where people could call in, order the books and materials, and then come pick it up. And now we had to have security there just to protect our uh, staff to make sure that people didn't become hostile if they had did not have a mask on and we had to enforce stringent mask requirements. And it worked out. And then we gradually expanded the number of libraries uh, that we did grab and go. And then we did something um, very unique in that we offered several of our library buildings to the city for testing. And so then three of our libraries, Windsor Park was the first one, uh, then uh, Kew Gardens Hills, and then Ozone Park, and now Leopards, um, to offer testing. So, so far we've had 70,000 plus people who've gone through the library doors administered by the city uh, wow. testing. Then we offered two of our libraries for vaccines. So now we have two of our libraries that are available for vaccines and that's Flushing Library, our largest library and Ozone Park where the positivity rate has been stubbornly high in Ozone Park. So we've done that as well. So we've been gradually ramping up uh, we're about to expand even more libraries for grab and go. And then we're exploring the next steps as far as how we expand services as well, because one of the things people are clamoring for, that we have to make sure we have everything set up properly and the safety is there for the, what you talked about earlier, computer services and the use of computers. So we're working on all that to gradually reopen our doors in a way that allows us to maintain safety for both staff and the public. You know, you brought up the Flushing location, and that's, you know, right smack in the heart of, of uh, downtown Flushing. And, you know, that branch probably, and many of your others, are tremendously diverse communities. They're like the intersection of like 100 different countries. So how, how are you able to serve the diversity of uh, really the population of Queens in terms of language barrier and communication? So a number of ways. One, we really keep track of the demographics of a particular community and the community will change based on who we are as a borough. I mean, we're the most diverse borough in the nation and we take great pride in that. And through the library, we're 
very much in front of that, both through our books and our materials. Our staff reflect the communities as well. And we make sure we're available, uh, available to the public for program services. So we do all that to keep up to speed on what's going on. And you talked about flushing. Before the pandemic, flushing would average roughly five to 6,000 people who would visit through the doors every day of flushing. It's an amazing number. Mm. 6,000 before the pandemic, we would have 11 to 11 and a half million people who came through our doors collectively. And we have a top-notch collections department that's always in the front of things, looking at what's the trends as far as ordering materials and language uh, reflections as well. So that way we are ordering materials in the native language of those communities, ordering newspapers. I always like to tell the story. What strikes me about Flushing in particular is that when I go to Flushing, I see the community, they love the newspapers. They love their native newspapers. Mm -hmm. I'm sure those uh, papers are there for people to read and to catch up on and what's happening local, either in the Flushing community, but also internationally as well. So the 125th anniversary, and that's a major milestone. It is. What, what do you have planned? Well, we've been doing a lot already, and we have, I mentioned, I think, our love letters to Queens. We're doing a lot of memory work, and our memory uh, project is going out talking about the pandemic, but also what people have as their memories of libraries and to be reflective of that. We're having people do post-its on our website as far as their memory for the library. Just several weeks ago, we went to visit a 104-year-old customer who is attack. Uh, and interestingly enough, who's lived through two pandemics. He lived through, or he was born around the time of the 1917-18 uh, pandemic, and now obviously now. And he hasn't been out in over a year. And so we went out to uh, say hi to him and celebrate him. And so we've been doing things along that line. Plus, we have many plans coming up in the future as far as different projects and ideas. I have a meeting coming up shortly uh, to talk about some of those ideas as far as those next steps. So we're trying to capture both the history. I mentioned earlier around where the libraries had been located over a period of uh, the 125 years and having people get a sense of where there is uh, a former library or where there will be a library. That's great. I mean, there's certainly a lot of history in Queens. Oh, Queens means nothing like Queens. I mean, there's history in Queens, there's diversity in Queens, there's the richness of who is here and the various cultures and foods. And oh yeah, Queens is a great borough. Is the newest branch, the Long Island City location? Uh, for now, Hunter's Point is the newest, but um, hopefully soon, we will have Far Rockaway open. Fantastic. Is a brand new construction. And so it tore down the old building and it's a new building that's going up now, but everything as you can imagine has been delayed as a result of the pandemic. So the original schedule and timeline are totally off. And then unfortunately with some projects, you know, when a worker uh, from the Department of Design and Construction, uh, construction teams, uh, test positive, then it has to stop. So all that is necessarily not necessarily is not allowing us to uh, have our projected time accurate. Uh, but yeah, so Far Rock is next. Uh, Glendale is soon to come. That was a major renovation itself. 
Uh, we're doing major renovation work and soon hopefully to wrap up at Steinway. So we have a lot of capital projects going on right now. Has the pandemic um, made you think differently in terms of the structure, literally the physical structure and services of the branches? Yeah, without question. I mean, we've had to, and we will continue to have PPE. I mean, as you know, take a step back. I mean, we're known for customer contact. We're known to have the public come through our doors and to interact, people get up close and there's that dynamic. And there will still be customer contact, but it's gonna be safe customer contact. So the pandemic alone has done that. And we'll have people who are uh, folks who work here in their masks. And I mean, it's safety first and we will make sure we have a safe environment for our customers. So definitely you'll see a difference as far as how libraries operate. And then until there's a full uh, ability to have capacity at whatever level, we will follow the state guidelines as far as the percentage of capacity of people who could be allowed in our building. So you'll see that as well. So we'll follow the state mandates in that particular area. So the pandemic's also had an impact on just the city budgets overall which I imagine is, is, is of concern to the library because of funding that comes from the city. And also this year is gonna be like a complete turnover of city government from the mayor down through the city council members. So, I mean, what impact will that have on the library and, and what's your major point to, to make sure that that funding stays in place when it comes to, to politicians? So we are very lucky in Queens in that our elected officials have been just outstanding. They love the libraries, whether the collective libraries in the borough of Queens, especially libraries in the district, they have provided us with funds like no other borough, I think, as far as uh, our local library support. Um, and so I can't say enough positive things. Uh, the, the elected officials have just been really great. And, and both locally, city council, assembly, Congress, state senate, you name it. Uh, but also the executive side of the branch as well, uh, the mayor and his team. But we have taken a hit, and but we've been able to absorb that hit uh, this year at least through accruals and other ways. And so we haven't had to have major diminution of time uh, aside from not having all of our buildings open. Uh, but next fiscal year, starting July 1, based on the preliminary budget, we may take a hit on top of a hit. And if that does happen, then we're gonna to have to take a serious look at how we uh, balance our budget. And that may mean hours, who knows what it may mean. So we're hopeful that with the infusion of the federal dollars, um, we will not suffer any additional cuts, but we're prepared with a variety of scenarios based on what happens. But uh, I can't say uh, a negative thing about our elected officials. They have been extremely positive and supportive of our libraries and we truly appreciate it. That's terrific to hear. Now, what about people that are in the position to help? How can the general public help in terms of donations or other support for the library system? Thank you for asking about that. I mean, people really think we might be a city agency. We're not a city agency. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. So any contribution is appreciated. We have the Queens uh, Public Library Foundation. Uh, in addition to that, on the 8th of June, we're having our virtual gala and whatever type of donations that people would be interested in making, it goes to support the programs of the Queens Public Library. And we're not um, 
an extremely rich organization. We've been extremely lucky and we have money as a result of the contributions of the people from the borough, uh, but we can always use more money because we turn that around into great programming. And again, you would have to have, I think, a three-hour podcast if I <laughs> in all the great programs that are offered, even virtually through the library. All people need to do is take a look at our website. And with that website, you will see the classes that are offered, after school programs that are offered, the uh, people who read to the children, some of the um, um, major policy discussions that we've had. I've held um, Facebook live discussions with uh, the attorney general, the former chancellor, uh, Dr. Alan Johns Hopkins, you name it. And we tackle those media issues as well. So uh, any dollar support would be greatly appreciated. Is the best way for them to go to the website, queenslibrary.org? That is correct, sir. Queenslibrary.org uh, or queenpubliclibrary.org. And no, queenslibrary.org. And with that, they can find you know the different programs, but also uh, to the foundation, and if they are interested in donating, we would always appreciate that. Well, Dennis, the library is a gem and you've been a fantastic leader. And, and I thank you for your time and sharing more about the library system. And before we close, I want to thank you as well and your mom for all that you do for the Borough of Queens. Uh, our pleasure. Both unsung and sung heroes and heroines of Queens. You are contributing in so many ways to make our borough better. And that's why we're so unique as a borough. Well, right back at you, Dennis. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. This has been great. Likewise, make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. <laughs>